Well, we're going to be continuing our, our series today on basic Christian beliefs. And so we're going to be talking about the Bible being God's perfect, inerrant word. And uh, so you can open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And as you're turning there, we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I thank you, Lord, for the, the people that are here today and for those of our church family that couldn't make it today. I just pray, Lord, you bless them where they're at. But I thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you've got a remnant, not just in this church, but other churches throughout the county, throughout the state, and throughout the country. A remnant who love you and love your word and love your people. And so I pray, Lord, in the difficult times that are ahead, where we have a government and a culture that knows not your son, Jesus, I just pray, Lord, in the difficult times ahead that you would strengthen us through your word and through the power of the Holy Spirit to be prepared for the tough times that are ahead. Uh, I pray, Lord, that right now, that the people that are here, they came to hear your wisdom, and your word proclaimed, not the faulty wisdom of man. If they want fake news, they can get that anywhere. But they want good news. They want your word. And so I pray, Lord, that you would cancel myself, cancel the fallible man, and enable me through the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim your infallible, totally pure word. I pray I would not lead anyone astray. And I pray that you give everyone here the courage to test what they hear today and what they hear throughout the week with your word, knowing that your word is pure, your word is true. And I pray that we test all things with your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd open hearts and minds to understand your truth and empower us by your spirit to apply these truths to our lives so that we can be pleasing in your sight through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Okay, so basic Christian beliefs. We're taking a little break from uh, our series, or through the Bible series. We'll be picking up in First Thessalonians probably in a few weeks to come. So we're going to talk about basic Christian beliefs, and then we want to deal with how Christians should live, and then, and how we can share our faith with others, okay? And, uh, and so right now we're talking about basic Christian beliefs. And so for some of you, you know, you've been in the church for a long time, and you're going to hear this and say, wow, this is, a, this is a no-brainer. I know this stuff already. Well, that's fine, but we, we've got to keep reminding ourselves of the truth. And, um, and maybe for others, we just haven't figured out exactly, you know, maybe we're believers, but we wouldn't be able to list basic Christian beliefs. And, um, and so we talked about uh, the last two weeks, the Trinity, that there's the one triune God, and he created the universe. Okay, he created us out of nothing. And, uh, and so we believe in the triune creator God. And uh, now we're going to see that the triune creator God is not silent. But he has spoken to us. He has revealed himself 
to us. And so uh, it's kind of like, I think they were the first two books of Francis Schaeffer. One was The God Who Is There. And then the next one was He Is There and He Is Not Silent. Okay? We don't serve a silent God. Okay? We serve a God who has spoken to us. Spoken to us in his word. So we don't have an excuse, you know, with all the fake news that we're getting from coworkers, from the media, from social media, all these different ways of getting fake news to us, lies. We don't have an excuse because God has given us 66 books. And he guided human authors to record his word without error. And so we've got to test all things with the word of God. And so we want to look at a few passages that deal with this, that we trust the Bible as God's perfect word. And uh, so look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Okay? And Paul says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God. In the Greek it means it's God-breathed. It's like God breathed the words out, Okay? He guided human authors to record his word without error. He used their personalities and their vocabulary. They weren't mere pawns of him, but he guided them to record his word without error. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that's teachings, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete thoroughly equipped for every good work, okay? So if you get grounded in God's word, you will be thoroughly equipped for the service that the Lord has called you to. And don't, do not allow the world to convince you that if you think you're on a mission from God, you're insane, okay? I'll be honest with you. If you don't think you're on a mission from God, you got issues, Okay, you don't have to be a preacher uh, to have a mission from the Lord. In fact, it's not the job of pastors to do the ministry for the church. It's the job of pastors to equip the saints for service. And we're all we're all saints. According. If we're trusting Jesus for salvation, we're saints. That means that we've been set apart for God's holy purposes. And uh And through getting grounded in the Bible, that makes us equipped for all the good work that the Holy Spirit wants to do through us for God's glory. It amazes me. It doesn't just amaze me how many professing Christians are not grounded in God's word. What amazes me is how many evangelical pastors in America are not grounded in in God's word. Sometimes churches hire a CEO or some guy with charisma and a good people person, and that's like all that he needs when the the Word of God says that we're supposed to exhort those in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And uh, But whatever the case, we need to be grounded in the Word. Now, what I want to do right now is read the surrounding verses here. So we get this, this passage 
where Paul, Paul's saying that all scripture, not some of it, but all scripture, and we're going to talk about how the early church figured out all the books that belonged in the New Testament, okay? But all scripture is inspired by God as God breathed. It's the word of God, and it's the word of God without error. But I want us to take a look at that context there. And so if you start in verse 15, and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 5. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 through verse 5. Now Paul is saying this, he gives the reason in verse 6. He's, he's, he's getting ready to die. Time of his exodus, his departure is near. He's going to be executed, so he's preparing young Timothy He's handing the baton to him, okay? But he tells him in verse 15 that from childhood, he's telling Timothy, from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus. So we're saved through faith in Christ, but what enables us to know that is by study of the scripture. And then he goes into all scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, there's no chapter breaks in the original letters. We, we added those thousands or hundreds of years later. Paul says, I charge you, therefore. Okay, he's saying, therefore. Why, what is it he's talking about? He's talking about because the word of God... Because the Bible is the word of God, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. This is not just a charge to Timothy. Okay? This is a charge to you. This is a charge to me. Are we going to answer the call? Okay? But because the Bible is God's word... I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Now, some of you will never preach the word from behind a pulpit. But if you're a believer, you're preaching the word all the time. Whether it's in your words when you share Jesus with others, whether it's in your words when you give people spiritual advice, okay, or whether it's in your actions and you live a life uh, that, that is worthy of the call. You, you're called to preach the word, just as Timothy was. Be ready in season and out of season. You know, pe people, people know that at a moment's notice I can get up and preach the word. At the, the school I teach at, sometimes the, the guest speaker can't make it. And sometimes we got, well, we used to have like, two praise songs, and then you'd preach a 20-minute message. Sometimes in the middle of the second praise song, I'm closing my eyes, singing the praise song, and I get nudged, and I open my eyes, and there's a teacher saying, we need you to preach. The speaker can't make it. So I'm like... So I start thinking in my head of my memorization verses and come up with a little outline of a message, and then I got to go up. We got to be ready. You know? Don't, uh, you know... Don't have a situation where someone's open to the gospel and you're having a bad day, you know? 
You know, you just want to eat. I mean, I'll tell you, I, I've been here. I've been at Fred Myers and Walmart where I'm on a mission. You know, I'm going to get that gallon of milk. I'm going to get some half and half. I'm going to get McDonald's premium coffee in the little curry cups. And that's, I just want to get that. I want to find a register where nobody's in line. I want to pay for it. And I'm out of there. So it's kind of like, you know, and I just say, you know, God, God bless you, man. Be safe. And the guy's like, yeah, God bless you, too. Are you a Christian? And I'm like, oh, man. I just came here to shop, dude, you know. And pastors kind of always want to say, hey, look, man, I, I gave it the office. You know, I'm, I'm off now. I'm not supposed to share my faith. I'm not on the clock. And um, uh, we got to be ready in season and out of season. Let me tell you something. Our enemy never sleeps. Okay? Our enemy never sleeps. We got a lot of Christians, pastors and their flocks. We've been asleep at the wheel. Most of all the garbage that's going on in America, you know, we like to blame the world, but if the church was the church, we probably wouldn't be having all these issues. And uh, so, like Timothy, we got to preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort. With all long-suffering and teaching, it takes patience to teach people that don't want to be taught. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Wow, that sounds like today. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Some translations translate that myths. That's what's going on now, man. There, there are, you know, and, and let me tell you something. When the government tries to force you in just this display of power, when the government tries to force you to say two plus two equals five, okay, they don't care if you really believe that or not. Okay? But when the government plays God, it just wants you to submit. It wants you to just obey and so the government wants you to go around saying 2 plus 2 equals 5, even if you know that's not true. And so when the government says, uh, if a little boy wants to become a little girl, uh, the parents should have no say in that process. Let the medical procedures begin. No. No. Why not? Because God is here, okay? There is a God, and he is not silent. He has spoken Amen. in his word. So I can care less what some guy in a says, Amen. okay? I can care less about the powerful people all over the world. You know, I'll be a nice guy to them and stuff. Plus two, but two plus two. Equals four. You want me to go around and say it's five? You want me to go around saying a little boy can identify as a little girl? No. No. You know, they, you know, you know what they don't? They want us to say either Jesus is not who he claimed to be. He's not God's Savior and Messiah. Or they want us to say that Jesus is just one, in, one of many ways to be saved. It's fake news. I'm not going there. Jesus is king, okay? I'm going to preach Jesus. 
like Paul wanted Timothy, Timothy to do, we got to preach Jesus until we got no air in our lungs. With every breath we got, we got to preach Jesus. You know, we <clears throat> let God be true <clears throat> and every man a liar. We got to do what we got to do. All right? If you're saved, you got to preach Jesus. In words and in deeds, you got to preach Jesus. Now, the world may think they got to do what they got to do. <clears throat> Fine. Okay? If you think you got to come after us, if you could find us and you can catch us and you could take us away, then we'll start a good prison ministry. Okay? You say, you know, we don't like you preaching in prison, we'll put you in solitary confinement. Then we're going to have a great devotional life. Okay? We got to do what we got to do. I was lost. I was blind. So were you. And then King Jesus saved us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're, you're telling me, not even asking me, you're commanding me to deny him? No. No, we're going we're gonna to preach the word. And uh, the world right now is being turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, be willing to suffer, do the work of an evangelist, share the gospel with others, fulfill your ministry. Your ministry might look a lot different than Timothy's. Uh, but whatever that ministry God has given you, you've got to fulfill that. You serve the infinite king. And, um, and so Paul is, is telling him, reminding him that all scripture is the perfect word of God because he foresees a time when people will be attracted to fables, to fairy tales, to lies. And you don't have to be real perceptive to realize that's we're living in days like that right now. Okay? That the world doesn't... Let me tell you, if you don't love the truth, you'll find a way to deny it. And, um, and it's like... You reject the truth. It's not like you'll believe something else. You reject the truth. You'll believe anything. And some of the, some of the lies that are out there are just, just plain crazy. Look at what Peter said about the scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. I find it interesting that the two clearest passages on the Bible being God's word come from Peter and Paul when they were on death row. So you know they're not going to say, well, let me just talk about the weather. It's like, look, they're on death row. They're going to talk important stuff. And what are they, one, of the, one of the things they touch on is that the Bible is God's inerrant word. And so 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter says this, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture, and by the way, Scripture is made up of prophecy. Prophecy is the word of God. When you prophesy, you proclaim God's truth. You don't have to predict the future to be a prophet. So the entire Bible, every Scripture, is prophecy. And he says that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. Sometimes they talk about it as of no private origin. Okay? What it is, it, it's, it's not, what it's talking about is Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, brilliant guys, 
but they gave us their own interpretation of reality. And they got some things right, and they got some things wrong. Okay? But the Bible, this, this is not man's interpretation of reality. This is God's infallible interpretation of reality. Okay? The ultimate source, the ultimate author of the scriptures is God himself. So this isn't, this, the Bible is not something that you read where you get to pick and choose. And it's very sad. A lot of professors, some of whom are my friends, that are training the future pastors, a lot of them are now doing some picking and choosing when they study the Bible. They pick which miracles in the Bible are literal, and if they don't like a miracle, they think it's too weird, they make it a metaphor. And they're training our future pastors. And I've got one friend who's now uh, teaches the, that God used evolution. Okay? And um, this is not a guy who, this is a guy who started out by proclaiming creation. And now it seems with each passing year, these guys are, they want to be accepted by the world. So this has crept into the church. But Peter says, no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. It's, it's God's true interpretation of reality. Why? For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So God set apart people. That's why they're called holy men. And then God spoke through them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, moved within them, so when they recorded his word, they recorded it without error. I want to look back now and too and get this context as well. And guess what? It's in the context of fables and fairy tales and myths once again. So in First Peter or Second Peter, chapter one, starting at verse sixteen, this is what Peter says. Peter's thinking back about his life and Jesus' ministry, and he says. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables. Peter's telling his readers, they're going to kill me. And I just want to remind you, I wasn't telling stories. I wasn't giving you baloney. Okay? I was proclaiming the truth, not fables. I was proclaiming the truth that God's Son became a man. And He dwelt among us. And He walked with us. And He ate with us. And Peter's saying, man, I spent three and a half years of my life with this, with this guy who happens to be God. We didn't follow cunningly devised fables, says, says Peter, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It's like, what is he talking Is he talking about when, he, when Jesus got baptized? Because that was uttered? Or is he talking about the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, we find out. 
Verse 18, And when we heard this voice which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain, that's the transfiguration. I mean, if Moses and Elijah are going to show up out of heaven, something important is going on. Okay? And that's when Jesus was white as snow, transformed, gave them a glimpse of himself in his glory, the glory in which he would come back and reign upon the earth for a thousand years. That day is still future. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. So he's saying, I know the scripture is the word of God. Because I saw him. Not just when he walked the earth. I saw him in all his glory on the mountaintop. So we had the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he goes into knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We are not here. We didn't, you didn't come here today to hear fairy tales. You didn't come here today to say, hey, Pastor Phil, tell me a story. Give me a little myth. Give me a little fairy tale. For my itching ears. You came here to hear the word of God proclaimed. And Peter's about to die, and he's linking back across his life. I, I can remember a girl, one of my former students, Katha was the one that worked at Martha and Mary's for a while. And um, and whenever she was in eighth grade, she got some of the Girls at a sleepover once dabbled with the Ouija board, even though I warned them not to do it. And it really rocked their world. And, um, and things got tough. She got kicked out of school for a while. Things went from bad to worse, but then she turned her life over to the Lord, came back, spent the last two years, two or three years at her school and graduated. But when she had to check out her books their senior year, her textbooks, make sure that she returned them, as she was leaving, I asked her, I said, uh, you still think that was real, what happened back in eighth grade? And she looked, without blinking an eye, she said, oh, yeah. And whenever I do a post on Facebook about demonic activity, all of a sudden I see the name. I recognize all the first names because all these little girls got married now. They got kids, so I don't recognize their last names. But they're saying, you remember this, this Dr. Fernandez? You remember that? They start talking about it all over again. But she thought back and said, you you know, was it real? Oh, it's real. Peter's about to die. He said, people, I'm telling you, this isn't some passing fad. The whole Jesus encounter and the word of God, the Bible, it's real. It's true. And I'm telling you, in a world of lies, Sometimes it's hard to find the truth. And we got to help people find it. But we got to be convinced. Okay? Don't cave into the world. Don't water down Jesus and the Bible just because that's the popular thing to do. We got to preach Jesus and Him crucified. We got to preach the resurrection. We got to 
preach the scriptures and salvation only through Jesus. And so the Bible is God's inerrant word. Look at Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. By the way, I could, uh, I could just stand here and take up hours and, um, and just read passage after passage after passage that teaches that the Bible is God's word without error. And, um, but this is just an overview. I want you to just get a taste of this and just show you why for the past 2,000 years the true church has believed that the Bible is the word of, perfect word of God without error. Now, it's perfect in the original manuscripts, which we no longer have. And the, the copies aren't perfect. There's some mistakes in them. But we got, so, we got thousands of copies that we can compare and figure out. It's called textual criticism and figure out exactly what the original said. And um, so Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6, every word of God is pure. Now, some translations read every word of God is flawless. Some translations read every word of God is tested. Which one's right? Guess what? They're all right. The Hebrew language is, is, is so poetic, it's, it's pregnant with meaning. If we try to translate into our modern-day baby-talk English the, what each Hebrew word meant, we'd have like two paragraphs per word. Can you imagine how big the Old Testament would be? If you want to see, get a glimpse of that, just look at the Amplified Bible. We're in parentheses. They'll give you all the... you know. But basically, every word of God has proven, has been tested, has passed that test, and has proven itself to be pure and without flaw. Okay? Uh, the same word was used when David, shepherd boy David, decided not to use King Saul's armor because it wasn't tested. He didn't test it. He didn't practice with it. Okay? And, um, and so he just figured, no, I, I, I'm it would be dumb for me to use something that I've never practiced with, okay? Uh, and so the Word of God has what? It has been tested. Let's say you're not a really good apologist, not a really great defender of the faith, and your friends make fun of you because you, you make your decisions based on the Bible rather than like on CNN or something like that. Um, and so they make fun of you. Uh, you don't have to be a great apologist who who can provide evidence for Old Testament reliability, New Testament reliability, and evidence that Jesus is, is God and he proved it by rising from the dead and you provide evidence for his resurrection. And then you show, well, what did Jesus teach about the scriptures? Jesus taught the Old Testament is God's word without error and promised us uh, uh, an inerrant New Testament that the Holy Spirit would write through the apostles. Uh, you don't have to know all that. All you got to know is this, Okay. Why should I listen to Billy Gates and this Harari guy? Why should I listen to them when their teachings haven't been tested? Okay? By the way, I'm not sure I want to test some of their teachings. When you got some guys who want to wipe out, you know, 85% of the world's population and then see if that turns out well, I don't I don't even I don't even want to go there, okay? But never apologize for building your life on the word of God 
because it has been tested. And it's past the test of time. By the way, if you don't, you just want to spend a little bit of time. Test the Book of Mormon. Look at the archaeological research dealing with that. It's a novel. Joseph Smith stole one of Solomon Spaulding's novels. It's not historically accurate. Look at the Quran. Okay, we got little kids going to Sunday school classes. They can tell you that Miriam, the sister of Moses, was not Mary, the mother of Jesus. Muhammad didn't know that. Okay? Muhammad thought the entire Bible chronology was all the same generation. Okay? Um, so you want to put them to the test? Go ahead. They're going to fail the test. The Bible has been tested. It passed the test. You're not a fool for building your life on the teaching of, teachings of God's word. It's foolish to build, try to build your life uh, on anything else. So Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you, and you be found a liar. Don't add to God's word. Book of Revelation tells us, too, don't take from God's word. Okay? Don't pick and choose. Study the word and study it in its proper context. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, when in prayer to God the Father on the night he was betrayed, uh, he said, thy word is truth. Your word is truth. Okay? The God of truth. If the Bible is the word of God, it doesn't even have to tell us that it's true. It would just follow, and then it's got to be true. But God knows that we don't always get it, so he makes it clear over and over again. He tells us every word in the scriptures is true. Okay? And uh, now, how does, how does the word of God, how did that... How did that come about? Well, first, it's the doctrine of revelation. God had to reveal or make known his word to human authors. He guided human authors into the truth. And then inspiration, he guided the human authors to record his word totally without error. So we have to understand inspiration, God breathing his word, doesn't mean that God just revealed his truth to the human authors and then left them alone so that before they wrote it down, they might have made mistakes. They had good intentions, but they made mistakes. No. The traditional understanding of these passages, it has always been that God guided the process of writing the scriptures, worked within the hearts and the personalities and the vocabularies, of the uh, human authors, but God guided the process to completion. So the final product is the word of God in written form, totally perfect and without error. Okay? And so Jesus could say, uh, thy word uh, is, is truth. And, uh, and so God revealed it to the human authors, and then he inspired them, he guided them to record his word without error. See, when we pray that God anoints me to proclaim his truth, we're not, we're not, that's not inspiration. Okay? God's not guiding me to record his word without error. Don't ever let somebody tell you that there's a 67th book of the Bible. If Jesus wants to add a 67th book of the Bible when he comes back, that's his business. Okay? 
But the generation that Jesus walked the earth and his authoritative witnesses, they have already, they already wrote down what, what God guided them to write down. We don't need extra books. We don't need the bogus Gnostic heretical writings, the bogus Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Judas, Gospel of Mary. No, those are pseudepigrapha, false writings that came hundreds of years later. We don't need the Book of Mormon, the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrines and Covenants. We don't need the Quran. Okay? We test all things. Even when the late Billy Graham wrote a book, you test it with the Word of God. In fact, he would have been offended if you tried to add his writings to the Word of God. And, um, um, but when we pray that God anoints me to proclaim his truth, what we're saying is, look, the 66 books of the Bible, that is the inerrant, totally without error, inspired word of God. And now some idiot from New Jersey, half Italian, half Portuguese, is going to try to teach this to you. Guess what? That guy from Jersey... He's led people astray before throughout his life. He doesn't always get it right. You know, Paul says it's a fearful thing. Uh, you know, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Well, let me tell you, if we got some preachers out there, preach with fear and trembling. Humble yourself before you get behind the pulpit. If you will not humble yourself, God will humble you. Okay, But if God's going to be exalted from this pulpit, then somehow the fallible guy has got to proclaim God's and explain God's infallible truth without messing it up. And because I don't trust me, and I trust him, we pray God, God, please anoint. You know, some, some people might come in here and think, what do they think this guy is? Some kind of... Uh, Guru or something? No. We think this guy is imperfect. If John preaches or Pat or Will, we pray the same prayer. We're afraid the guy who gets behind a pulpit might mess up and misunderstand and mislead from God's perfect word. Okay? And uh, so it's because we value the word of God that we pray, we pray, look, Lord, please, please anoint Pastor Phil to proclaim your truth because he's not up to the task. That's an imperfect man trying to proclaim God's perfect word. Please, Lord, control that guy. He can, he can blow it. You're at Fred Myers. You're buying groceries. And all of a sudden, the cashier person, you get in a little conversation, and it's one of the few times nobody's in line after you. Now you've got to proclaim God's truth. You're going to have some fear and trembling and think, you know what, I might, I might lead this guy or this gal astray. Please, Lord, give me wisdom. You ought to start your day praying for wisdom. Because God's going to bring people into your life that you could share his truth with. And, uh, but that's why we pray that God anoints us, uh, anoints us to preach his word. So, Revelation, God reveals his word to human authors. Inspiration, he guides them to record it. 
inerrancy when they recorded, they recorded totally without error. God's involved in that. Well, how did the early church know which books belong in the Bible? That's called canonization. If God's going to write his inerrant word for the church for throughout the ages, then the Holy Spirit's also going to make sure that the early church recognizes which books belong in it. And so canonization, God guided the early church to recognize which books belong in the New Testament. This is not in your notes. You might want to jot it down. There's three tests. Number one, the early church said, does it have apostolic authority? Was it written by an apostle who was commissioned directly by Jesus or one of the colleagues of the apostles with the apostles' approval? Okay? So that means all the Gnostic Gospels automatically get kicked out. They were written too late. All the apostles were, were with the Lord at that point. It's got to have apostolic authority, number one. Number two, it's got to be in agreement with previous scriptures. So if one of the apostles wrote, wrote with apostolic authority, wrote something that was mistaken and it contradicted the word of God, it would be rejected. Now we know Paul wrote at least one more letter to the Corinthians, possibly two. I don't think that they rejected it because he said something heretical. Okay, He knew his theology. He knew his Bible. But I think it was probably point number three, is it edifying or profitable for the entire church? Not just the entire church of the first century AD, but the entire church throughout the centuries and throughout the millennium. And I think if, when you read First and Second Corinthians, you could see why there might be some things that Paul would have to tell the Corinthians that we just don't have a need to know, um, that they needed to hear it. You know, so whatever the, the letter, what we call First and Second Corinthians, when they received it, they said, wait, this has apostolic authority. It's, it's in agreement with previous scriptures, previous revelation, um, but it's not edifying for others. We don't need to air our dirty laundry before us. First and Second Corinthians, they said, yes, let's not only read it from our pulpit, let's make copies and send them to other churches so that as they preach, the Old Testament is preached from our pulpits, now the New Testament will be preached as well. But this other letter, the, the Corinthians said, no, this is not going to be edifying. Get everybody in on Sunday. We'll read it once. We'll either hide it or we'll burn it, but we're not making copies. Okay? And um, so if, for a book to be canonized, recognized, that, that you know, it's, it's kind of like God wrote 39 books and then took a 400-year break. Okay? But then Jesus happened. And he rose the dead, gave sight to the blind, the deaf hear. He claimed to be the Messiah and the Savior and God incarnate. And he claimed to die. He was going to die for our sins. And after we killed him, he bodily rose from the dead and conquered our greatest enemy, death. And so guess what? In the words of C.S. Lewis, once again... Aslan is on the move. Okay? God is starting to write again. And through the signs and wonders of the apostles, when he started writing the Old Testament, what did he do? Signs and wonders, the ten plagues. Letting everybody know, Moses is my man. So in the Old Testament, it was the same three tests, except it was a prophetic authority. Okay? And some people might have said, well, I agree with the sons of Korah, 
I don't think Moses is really representing God. And then the ground swallows them up. And it's like, okay, there's another hint that Moses is God's man. Okay? But signs and wonders that God accompanied, proving that this was the, the word of God. And, um, and so the early church realized uh, if books are, are written by an apostle or one of their colleagues with their approval, if it's in agreement with previous scripture and edifying for the entire church, we need to make copies and preach it alongside the Old Testament because it holds the same level of authority as the Old Testament. Paul, I believe in 1 Timothy chapter 5, quotes from Luke's gospel and calls it scripture alongside Old Testament scripture. Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 3, he takes Paul's writings and calls them scripture alongside the Old Testament scriptures. Okay? And, um, and so the early church had good reason to acknowledge that this was God writing. Well, if this, if this is, if the 66 books of the Bible, the 39 Old Testament, the 27 New Testament, if that is the word of God, then that means that this is our authority. What the reformers called sola scriptura, the Bible alone is the final authority for faith and morality. Now, the Roman Catholic Church disagreed. They said, no, it's the scriptures plus church tradition. The church teachings. Oh, and by the way, they say, but we, the church, we gave you the Bible. No, the Holy Spirit used the early church, which wasn't the Roman Catholic Church, by the way. They were a lot more like Trinity Bible Fellowship than they were like the Roman Catholic Church. Um, but the Holy Spirit guided them to find which books belonged in the New Testament. But the Catholic Church said, no, no, we gave you the Bible. So it's the ultimate authority is church tradition plus the Bible, and by the way, we're the only ones who have the right to tell you what the Bible means. I mean, and it, it wasn't long ago when if you couldn't read Latin, you couldn't read the Bible if you were a Roman Catholic. They wouldn't translate into people's languages. In fact, there were guys that were burned at the stake for translating the Bible into other languages like English. And, um, but no, it's the Bible's the final authority for faith and morality, sola scriptorum. And uh, so we got to test all things with the word of God. If it doesn't pass the test, get rid of it. Uh, I'm just going to close with a couple passages here for just for application. Look at Psalm 119. If you want to read an entire psalm, this is the largest chapter in the, in the Bible, Psalm 119, and it's all about the word of God. And to avoid monotony, it's called the Word of God, the Law, the Precepts, okay, uh, the Commands. But it's all about the Word of God. And, um, and but Psalm 119, uh, 105, says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Is that true with you? Have you taken God's word and said, yeah, I want God's word to be a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I don't want to make my decisions and go through life without getting guidance from God's word. Okay? Um, Psalm 119, verse 11. Your word I have hidden in my heart. Some translations read, your word I have treasured, like hidden treasure. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
God the Son became a man, and when he got tempted three times by Satan, he quoted from Deuteronomy, Old Testament books. Now, Jesus, Jesus could say, I'm hungry. That's the word of God, because Jesus is God. Yet, he chose, when tempted, to quote scriptures. Okay? If you're weak in the scriptures, weak in your knowledge of scriptures, it's going to be almost impossible for you to say no to sin. Okay? You've got to treasure not just God, but you've got to treasure his word in your heart. And then the Holy Spirit can renew your mind so you can say no uh, to, to sin. Uh, that also means you ought to be memorizing scripture. How are you going to treasure God's word in your heart if you're not memorizing it? And, um, uh, and then Psalm 1, the first three verses there. Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sits, stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. We, man, I'm telling you, we got the counsel of ungodly. It's just all over the place. And they got billions of dollars. And they'll can you, you preach Jesus, they'll cancel you. They'll censor you. No truth allowed. We don't stand in the counsel of the wicked. Even the Muslims called uh, the Christians back in the 7th century A.D. the people of the book. Are you a person of the book? The word of God? We don't, we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Verse 2, but his delight, our delight is in what? In the law of the Lord, God's word. And in his law he meditates day and night. Do you meditate on God's word day and night? I'm not talking about Hindu meditation where you empty your mind. I'm talking about biblical meditation where you empty your mind of your own sinful desires, but you fill it with truths from God's word. We need to be meditating on God's word day and night. What will happen? He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. It's not talking about material prosperity. You might die broke, like John the Baptist. Okay, but that was one of the most prosperous men who ever lived because he understood prosperity through the eyes of God. You want to live a successful, prosperous, spiritually prosperous life, you got to be in love with God and His Word. Okay, and then one final passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is where Awana, a workman and not ashamed. Awana got its, its uh, title from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. So we want, we want God's word to light, to be the light of our path. I want to live in God's light, not in the darkness of fake news, not in the darkness of lies. Okay? I want to treasure God's word in my heart so I don't cave in to temptation. I want to meditate on God's word day and night. And now here, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, be diligent, That's, that means hardworking. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, 
a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay? Uh, more contemporary terminology would be uh, handling accurately the word of truth. Jehovah's Witnesses can quote verses. Mormons can quote verses. Health, wealth, and prosperity heretics, where God wants you healthy and wealthy and rich, um, they can quote verses, but they're not diligent in their study, and they're not accurately proclaiming God's truth. They're not rightly dividing God's truth. We need to be hardworking in our study of Scripture so that we rightly divide the word of truth. We accurately understand and learn and proclaim God's word. I never memorize a scripture without studying it first in its proper context so I don't quote the verse out of context. Okay? Um, we got to be hardworking. You know, you might say, you know, Pastor Phil, I got so many things going on. I can't be hardworking at studying the word. Hey, God gave you free will. I can't force you against your will, but keep in mind, if you take this verse seriously, you're saying, yeah, I'm okay with being a worker who's ashamed before my God. I don't know about you. I don't want to be ashamed. When King Jesus comes back for us, I don't want to be ashamed. I don't want to say, you say you love me. How come you didn't love my word? It's like if I ever got locked up for preaching the gospel, my, my wife would write me letters. And I love my wife. So as soon as I get those letters, I mean, I'd be standing there with the other inmates just waiting impatiently. Maybe I'd get a letter from Kathy today. Because I love her. I would read her love letters. If you love the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, if you love the God of Peter, Paul, and John, if you love the triune God, read his love letters. He wrote you 66 of of them. Read his love letters. Study them. Be diligent in your study of him. Proclaim his word. Treasure it in your heart so that you won't sin against him. God wrote us 66 love letters. If we love them, we'll read them, we'll study them. No matter what the world says, we'll preach Jesus and his word until he comes back in glory. Let's close it with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we love you, Lord, but just please, Lord, please help us to love you more. We love your word, but please, Lord, help us to love your word more. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to go through life trying to please you through the power of the Holy Spirit, but just not knowing how to please you. You've given us everything we need to know in your word to live that overcoming life. So cause us to love your word. Cause us to study your word. Diligently study your word. Cause us to treasure your word in our hearts 
so that we would not sin against you, so that we would not be ashamed when we see your Son, King Jesus, face to face. Jesus' precious name, we pray. Amen. All right.